Morning, Nick. You don't have your microphone on yet. <laughs> it's okay. So, uh, good morning. Um, my name is Jeff Wright. I'm the worship director here. This is Pastor Nick Eaton. He's our associate pastor. Um, and uh, we are very glad to have you all here with us uh, this Christmas Eve morning. Uh, this morning for our message, we're going to end up doing something a little bit different than normal. And um, this was Pastor Brad's idea. So if, if you don't like this and if this doesn't go well, you can just blame Brad. Um, <laughs> but since, uh, since Brad is still out uh, recovering um, with, uh, uh, with the liver issues. <laughs> Whoa, sorry. Nick's mic is on, by the way. Um, since Pastor Brad is, is still out and, uh, and recovering, uh, we've had a few guest speakers over the last few weeks, the last couple of months. And, um, and today, Brad had uh, the wonderful idea of Nick and I doing the Christmas message together. And uh, so when we were trying to think of how we were going to uh, do like a sermon, but like both of us are talking, uh, so like, am I going to give a point? You're going to give a point? I'm going to give a point? That's going to be weird. Um, and, uh, and then Brad had the, another wonderful idea to do it more um, conversationally, more stream of conscious, more like a radio show, podcast kind of message, okay? So that's why we're sitting here at this pulpit, and, um, and this looks all different. Don't worry, this is not the direction that sermons are going to go at OBC. So again, if, if uh, this doesn't go well, and if you don't appreciate this, uh, don't worry. Um, but, um, but this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about um, the mystery revealed, and uh, with that... Uh, that means what that uh, is referring to we're going to look at in a second in um, a passage in Ephesians and basically what we're going to do is we're going to break down um, some prophecies about Jesus and how those prophecies were fulfilled um, and uh, and see exactly what the mystery revealed really is I think Nick has uh, an article so just to let you know we, we didn't like sit down and like rehearse anything we nope. kind of came up with our <laughs> we, we came up with our outline, and then we both we decided, hey, let's to make it really conversational and stream of conscious. Let's just go our separate ways, study our outline, do the thing that we're going to do, and then we'll we'll just get to it Sunday morning. So, <coughs> oh wow, I'm so sorry, guys. So that's not a good idea either. Um, cover it or something. I tried. It made a loud noise. <laughs> so Nick's got an article uh, yeah. that he wants to share before we get into the text. So some of you may have uh, heard the uh, article about the mathematical probability that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, so they did a study. Sorry, I'm going to be reading this for a second. Uh, they did a study in, let's see, which university was it? Should have highlighted it. Uh, <laughs> a professor at Westmont College has calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made concerning the Messiah. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes representing some 600 university students. The students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, and examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. They made their estimates conservative enough so that there was finally unanimous agreement even among the most skeptical students. However, the professor then took their estimates and made them even more conservative. 
He also encouraged other skeptics or scientists to make their own estimates to see if their own conclusions were more fair. <clears throat> Finally, he submitted his figures to review to a or for review for to a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. Upon examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. For example, concerning Micah 5.2, where it states that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the professors and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present day. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during the same time period. They concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. After examining only eight, only eight, there's a lot more than eight prophecies, uh, after examining only eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was one, or sorry, 10 to the 17th power. To illustrate how large that number is, the professor gave this illustration. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all of the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They would cover at least, or they would cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick the one silver dollar that has a special mark on it. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. Again, that's only eight of the, a lot more than that, prophecies that were made about Christ. And Christ fulfilled them. Texas is pretty big, too. Yeah, yeah. Everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. Uh, the, the article concludes with, um, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. That's it. Yeah. So, so yeah, so this is, this is what we're going to be covering. We're going to be looking at um, a, a few prophecies. Again, there's a lot more than eight. There's like several hundred yep. prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament that are fulfilled uh, through Christ. Um, and so we're going to be looking at a very small amount uh, when we talk about this. But we're going to have four main points that we're looking at, four main aspects of these prophecies and of Jesus's life here on earth um, that, uh, that are, are fulfilled. Um, so we know that there are a lot of prophecies. We know that there are a lot of scriptures that talk about some of the prophecies that we're going to go through. We didn't nail down every single scripture that talks about some of these prophecies because we would be here for it. One of these subpoints, you know, we could do a whole sermon on, mm -hmm. basically. So we're, there, there's a lot of them here. There's a lot of subpoints in the in the four main points, um, and uh, so we might be kind of burning through some of these um, pretty quickly. But um, but let's let's pray before we get into the main text, and then uh, we'll get into the introductory text, and then we'll start getting into the prophecies themselves. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you again for bringing us here uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you for what the Christmas season, what the Advent season uh, really means. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your son. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through Nick and I to, um, to reveal the truth of your, your gospel and your word as we uh, look through your word and, and um, see 
uh, the wonderful uh, prophecies and how they were fulfilled in your son and, and see your awesome uh, faithfulness for uh, your people and, um, and uh, Lord, the wonderful truth that is just revealed in, in your word to us. And, and so uh, bless our time uh, together this morning, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so the introductory passage that we're going to look at is, um, is found in Ephesians 1. Now, when we start looking at the prophecies, again, we're going to be turning. I actually tabbed all of the <laughs> scriptures in my Bible that I'm going to turn to. You guys don't have to feel obligated to turn to all of these when we're going through the actual prophecies. You can if you want. Have fun. Um, but I'm going, to be, I'm going to be turning to them. But we're going to uh, start off kind of focusing on this passage in Ephesians 1. Okay? And so that's Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, uh, which, is, uh, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And... Um, the kind of the core of what we're going to be looking at is the phrase, you can kind of see it um, bolded there on the slide, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Now, this word mystery, it's not mystery how we usually think of mystery, where it's, it's something that we don't know about, it's something that we're unsure of. The meaning of the word mystery, how it's used here, is that it's it's something that we know will happen or something that uh, is going to be revealed to us. It's just hidden right now, and in the future, it will be revealed. I actually have kind of an anecdote to, to tell about. I'm not usually an anecdote guy um, when I speak, but I have, a, I have kind of a funny story. So uh, when I was growing up in high school, uh, it was actually, it's a Christmas story. Um, my sister would always wrap up. Um, she would just get me goofy stuff or, or whatever. And this one Christmas, this, there was this huge box. It was the biggest box. It was probably the biggest thing that we had in the house. It was huge. And it was wrapped up, and it was from my sister to me. And I was like, oh, wow, what did, what did Val get me this year? This is awesome. So excited. I rip it open. I open up the box. And then there's another wrapped box in there. And I was like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. And I'm not kidding when I say by the time I got through dozens of boxes, it was a box like this big, finally. It was like packing peanuts and bubbles and all this kind of stuff. I finally opened up that box, and it's the remote to my stereo that I already had, like my little five <laughs> CD changer. And it's awesome. um, I was like, thanks, Val. We spent 45 minutes, uh, me opening up these presents. Uh, no, but it was, it was funny. But I had this idea of some kind of big, awesome gift, and I didn't know what it was, what exactly what that big, awesome gift was, I wasn't sure about. And so I had this hope for what it was, and I was digging in, and when I finally got to it, it was disappointing. This is kind of the opposite end of that, where this, is, this mystery that's being revealed is a hope that we know will come true uh, because of the Lord's faithfulness, because of his promises to his people in the Old Testament and to the prophets. And then that hope is finally revealed in Jesus Christ. Okay? And so again, it's not a mystery of what could it possibly be. It's a mystery of, of when it will happen and how it will happen. And it did happen through Jesus. Okay? Um, so that was kind of a, a long introduction in that passage. But that's, that's what we're going to start looking at. 
And so um, when we were talking about how to go about the, uh, the prophecies, uh, we're going to look at Old Testament prophecies for each of these points and then the New Testament, how it's fulfilled. Um, and um, we decided that uh, I think it was a pretty um, unanimous kind of thing that I would do Old Testament and Nick would do New Testament because I'm more like Old Testament fire and brimstone kind of guy. And Nick's like more New Testament love and grace. Grace, oh guy. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, even my wife was like, yeah, that's how it's going to go. Mine too. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to focus um, mostly on the Old Testament stuff. You can chime in if you got some stuff. Yep, Nick's going to focus on the New Testament stuff. I'll chime in too. Um, and, um, and we're, we're going to go through, through there. But the four aspects that we're going to look at is, is Christ's birth, Christ's life, Christ's death, and Christ's resurrection. Those are going to be the four main points. And we're going to see how God revealed this mystery to us through Christ regarding these four aspects of Christ's life. Okay? So our first point is going to be through Christ's birth, God shows us faithfulness in the midst of our hope. So if, you're, if you've got your, uh, your sermon notes, uh, point number one, through Christ's birth, God shows us faithfulness in the midst of our hope. And the first passage that we're going to look at is Genesis 12, 3. Now again, there's, there are a lot of Old Testament passages. There are a lot of passages. Um, well, of course, there's a lot of Old Testament passages. There are a lot of Old Testament prophecies. Um, and uh, we're, we're only going to look at a handful. So we only, we only picked out a few here. Um, but Genesis 12, 3 uh, the Lord is talking to Abraham, and this is, this is before the Lord officially established his covenant with Abraham. That, that doesn't happen quite yet, but the Lord's kind of setting up Abraham for, for it to happen here in chapter 12. And in chapter, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so it's important to remember all the families of the earth will be blessed um, when we look at this blessing, okay? And then the second one uh, for this uh, point um, is uh, Genesis 17. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't start in the, uh, the first subpoint. So <laughs> the first subpoint that goes along with God showing us his faithfulness is that God is faithful in his blessings, Okay? So that's what we're going to be reading about in these verses, is how God is uh, preparing Abraham for the covenant, and he's talking about blessings in there. All right? I'll try not to uh, jump back and forth like that too much and pay attention a little bit more. Uh, so Genesis 17.9 is our uh, second verse, and uh, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And so we're looking at God talking to Abraham about blessing him and his offspring, and his offspring, offspring, and offspring, offspring, and so forth and so on. If it was math, we'd put like a little line over it, right? We're doing like decimal points and that kind of stuff. But it's, it's his offspring onward, okay, that the blessing comes through. And so, um, so God is telling Abraham that I'm going to bless your line, your offspring, but also I'm going to bless the whole entire world through your offspring. And then we come to the New Testament um, passage where uh, we get to look at how that's 
fulfilled. Yeah, so if you want, if you, again, if you want to turn to it, <laughs> I would love for you to. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verses 25 through 26 um, says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So this is one of those things, uh, you know, Jeff was mentioning that as, you know, the offspring and the offspring and the offspring and the little line that continued. Uh, the, the beautiful thing about the new covenant that we have through Christ is that we are included in that offspring. Uh, we are included as Abraham's kids, children, offspring. You guys remember that song from, you know, children's church back in the day? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. Okay, you, you know what I'm saying. That, that song is true. Uh, thankfully, like a march that's, that went with it, right? Yep. Uh, I think so. Oh, yeah. We were, Let's just praise the Lord, right? On. We were at a Baptist church in Ohio, so yeah, we marched. Um, so, uh, anyway, so this is, this is one of the blessings that we're shown. Another thing that I want you guys to all keep in mind, and this is something that I've, I've said to the students, probably, they're sick of me saying it, but God is faithful in, in, in the blessings that he promises to give us in our lives. Um, now, I was, I was actually teaching Joy Group just... Last week or the week before, we were doing Psalm 25, uh, and it's about David, and, and it kind of ends in, in this idea of, you know, God promises to bring you blessings in your life when you're following him, when you're following his will for your life. When you're choosing to honor God with your life, he is faithful to keep these blessings. So these are things that we need to remember as, we, as we're going through this, but uh, God promises to Abraham that he's going to make a nation out of him. Remember, he brings him out to the stars. Look in the skies, there's going to be, your, your offspring will be more than the stars in the skies. And uh, I've, I, I usually lose count pretty quick when I'm counting stars, uh, but there's a lot of them. But if we think of all of the offspring of Abraham, again, that doesn't just include the nation of Israel. Uh, and by the way, Abraham's offspring, um, there, there's, he's, there's a lot. We'll just say that. There's a lot. Uh, so... When we think of the total offspring, it probably is about right. You know, the sand on the beaches, that's, that's another thing that it says. Actually, I think it says the desert. Uh, and the sand, or in the stars in the sky. So God is faithful to keep those promises. We did a study with the youth group a few years ago on God's faithfulness. And it's something that you can depend on. Uh, we, we went through and looked at promises that he's made in the Old Testament and, and how they're kept throughout the entire scripture. That's, that's, and these prophecies fall in line with that, right? Prophecies are promises. And, and we see that they are fulfilled in Christ, a lot of these. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we see God promise the nation of Israel when they're wandering the desert for 40 years is when you follow me, I will bring you blessings. When you don't follow me, when you go after the gods of these other nations that are around you, I promise to curse you. And that's what we see. I mean, Israel didn't be re get reestablished as a nation till you know the or the twentieth century, just the nineteen hundreds. So, God is faithful to keep these blessings. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in line with all of that too, with being a part of Abraham's family and, and offspring and whatnot. If you read Ephesians two, if you read the book of Galatians, if you read Hebrews, um, all throughout Paul's letters, he's talking about how. We as Christians and, and Gentiles are now a part of this through Christ. And so Christ is the one who has brought that and, and able to, to bring that to all people, which we're going to look at 
in a little bit in, in one of the other main points too. Um, okay, so the second subpoint uh, for God showing his faithfulness is that God shows us faithfulness by meeting us right where we are. And um, we're going to look at Isaiah 7 for this one. And you'll understand uh, what we mean when we say God meeting us right where we are. Now, often that's, um, that's kind of a colloquial, colloquial phrase uh, that we use nowadays to uh, justify what we're doing in our lives and, and that kind of stuff. And maybe people should be okay with me and meet me right where I'm at, you know. Um, but we're, we're talking about in, in, a, in, an, in, in a, basically a physical sense, the Lord coming to us. Um, when you look throughout the New Testament and you study um, how the Lord interacted with his people, it was often through uh, speaking uh, to them. Uh, but then when we had uh, the, the tabernacle in the temple, there was a room that uh, you could go in to be in a presence of God, but it wasn't just anybody could go in there. It was only certain people at a certain time of the year uh, could go in there. Again, we're not going to get into all the details, but there's a sense where it, it wouldn't be surprising if everybody felt a little bit of separation from God because maybe they weren't allowed to go into that room to be in the presence of the Lord, right? And um, now that Jesus has come to earth and that curtain was torn at his death, right? Now we have Christ here with us, and we can go into the presence of Jesus, and we have the Spirit with us, and so God is here with us, and um, the prophecy for that is in Isaiah 7, 14, and it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so Emmanuel is the important word to focus on there for that prophecy. And then in the New Testament, if you want to, I know you're flip-flopping a lot, but that's okay. Uh, go to Luke 1, 35, and we read, And the angel said, or the, sorry, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Uh, so again, we see, we see that God meets Mary, right? He meets her where she's at. Um, this, this, is, this is one of those things, you know, when I'm, when I'm going through uh, some of the parables in the New Testament, when you come across the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, uh, which again, is, I've mentioned this probably every time I've preached at this point, but that's okay, because it's that good. Uh, you know, the, the, obviously with the parable, God is the Father and the Son is each and every one of us. Uh, and when we, when we read that the son runs off to a faraway land and lives a, par or a prodigal life, uh, when he comes back, we read that the father is scanning the horizon looking for him, right? So um, that, that gives us this idea that God is pursuing us. God is chasing after us. God wants us to come back to him. And when we come back, his arms are wide open, ready for us. So uh, that's one of the things that this brings to mind for me. Yeah. Um, I decided to, uh, to add in the, um, the Matthew passage here just because um, yeah. I, uh, even though we, we only had this one originally in our outline, uh, as you can see on the notes, um, I was like, I wonder if people would be bothered if we don't look at the Matthew passage that actually interprets the word Emmanuel here. Um, so we have, we have another point here, Matthew 123, and um, uh, it says, um, 
well, in verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then verse 23 is quoting this Isaiah passage. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so God with us, son of God, if we are um, believers of the Trinity, which here at Oakwood Bible Church we are, then we believe that Jesus was the son of God, yes, but Jesus was fully and truly God himself. And so Jesus in the incarnation with Jesus coming down to earth is God coming to us, God actually coming to us here. We sang a song last week called Who Would Have Dreamed, and it talks about actually being able to hold God in your hands, actually being able to hold Jesus, little baby Jesus, the Son of God, in your hands. Obviously, we can't because he's not physically here right now still, but Mary, Joseph, his family. This is the Son of God. This is the eternal logos, okay? The eternal Son has come to earth to be with us, and they could actually hold him in their hands. What, what an amazing humbling, what an amazing thing to think about that God would do that for us. And so God has come um, to meet us right where we are, and he shows his faithfulness through that. Um, so our second main point, again, we're going to be kind of burning through these because we, we got a lot to do here. And we got, you know, well, you guys are going to be here. Your Pizza Hut reservations are going to have to wait. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, are Pizza Hut's open on Christmas Eve? I don't think um, there are any Pizza Hut's oh, anymore. Man. Um, so our second main point is that through Christ's life, Christ shows us, uh, or God shows us generosity in the midst of our need. And what we're going to look at is how Christ in his life, how, um, again, the mere fact that he came to us, that God came to us is generous enough in itself. But then his wonderful works, the wonderful ways that he ministered to people um, shows his incredible divine generosity uh, that really we can't live up to um, because Christ was, was perfect. And the first point that goes with that is that God shows us uh, generosity by Christ's care and humility. And uh, the first passage we're going to look at is in Psalm 8. So Psalm 8, verses 5 through 6 says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. And so this, is again, is a prophecy about Christ coming to earth, about him being made even lower than the angels as a person here on earth. When we, I already mentioned that we believe that Jesus was the Son of God, was fully and truly God, right? Well, we also believe as Trinitarians that Jesus was fully and truly human as well. And so we believe that Jesus experienced human emotions, that he experienced physical pain, that he experienced uh, sad things. We, we see throughout the Bible how um, he, he, he weeps for people, he feels compassion for people. Um, and so we know that Jesus experienced human emotions and, and lived a truly human life apart from being sinless, okay? And, um, and so he humbled himself and cared for us enough to come to this earth and to experience humanity um, here on earth. And then as we look in the New Testament, how this was fulfilled, go to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. 
For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Of which we are speaking, it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Uh, this is, first thing I want to mention is uh, I, I don't feel nearly as bad when I forget where something is within the Bible because uh, here we have the author of Hebrews, you know, maybe Paul, maybe Apollos, who knows. Uh, he's, he literally says, uh, it has been testified somewhere. So Although he, he didn't give us a reference. That's he didn't pretty, have chapters and verses, so that's we fair. don't have an that, That's fair, that's fair. Uh, so... Those kids who are not doing great in Awana, uh, you, know, you can still do great things. Uh, then we also have uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Um, and this was actually one of the verses, actually Tim Peterson, when he was praying earlier, he referenced this verse. So uh, that was very timely. Good work. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Have this mind among yourselves. Yeah, good job, Tim. <laughs> have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Uh, a couple things I want to mention about this is, you know, Christ shows us this this generosity and, and care. And this is, this, you know, as, as Christians, you know, the word Christian means Christ follower. Uh, my middle name just so happens to be Christer, which is some language for Christian. Uh, maybe my parents or grandparents can tell me what language that is, but I'm not sure. Um, but Christian means Christ follower. And, and if we're following someone, if you're the disciple of someone, you're going to emulate what they're about. So uh, when I was younger, probably about sixth or seventh grade, uh, my youth pastor at the time was uh, Glenn Wood. Some of you may remember him. Uh, he, uh, right after his son, his oldest son, Josh, was born, he, he was alluding to his son and how, you know, he's kind of like his little disciple. You know, he follows him around. He does what dad does. He wants to do what dad does. He sees dad do things, and he's like, I'm going to go do that. You know, my son is the same way a lot of times. And I'm sure that fathers, you can, you can, uh, you can probably say the same. Um, now, that being said, if, if those are like our little disciples, if we're disciples of Christ, we need to be doing what Christ did, right? So we need to be taking the form of a bondservant. You know, one of the greatest acts of ministry that I can think of that Christ did, I mean, obviously there's a ton, but... Uh, it was when he washed the disciples' feet. That was such a cool thing. Um, but you need to understand the context to fully understand what's going on there. That's, they only, they really only had sandals back then. Uh, and feet get dirty. I don't know if you've ever, anyone have toddlers run around in the summer in flip-flops or 
sandals or we, something? We did when we lived in Arizona, where it's dusty and sandy. Yeah, was it bad? Was it pretty, <laughs> it was pretty bad? Pretty bad? Yeah. Yeah. Did you make them wash their own feet? Uh, I don't know. Did we? I think we like, maybe like sprayed them off with a hose, probably. That's the easy way. <laughs> I don't know if they had hoses back then. Just grab their foot. Uh, so, so what we have is, is Jesus doing something that in, in the Israel, is, Israeli culture... That was something that only slaves would do for their masters. They wouldn't even let Israelites do that for other Israelites. They would make Gentiles do that for them because it's such a lowly thing. Uh, that being said, what does Christ say to the disciples right after he's done? He says, go and do likewise. That means that each and every one of us, if we're truly disciples of Christ, we need to have that kind of servant heart, that kind of servant mind, that we're willing to do the dirtiest jobs. You know, this is, sorry, I, I know we're, we have, we're on a time, we have like 10 minutes left, but uh, we, we had the opportunity this summer, some of the students are here who went with us, but we went down to Florida to help out at, uh, on Pine Island at a trailer park down there, and these, the, they were rough. It was, I mean, a hurricane had just gone through. Even without the hurricane, these people are living at the lowest level that you can possibly live. Um, uh, one of, actually, two of the trailers the two trailers that we did, one of them, there was an issue with the plumbing. So there was a certain spot of the trailer where there was a, an odor. I can see Tim back there. He's Because that was our trailer. You remember. Uh, the other trailer uh, was pretty bad, too. They actually had black mold everywhere on the inside. But Pastor Jim, down at the church we were at, um, he, he and one of the other guys that were there helped put in a new water heater. Small little, you know, you know, the little water heaters. And they opened up the wall, and they had, you saw the back of the shower, and then they, they put it in. And while he's putting it in, the, the shower's here and the toilet's here. Brad mentioned this when we were giving our report, but um, the plumbing's so bad there. He's standing there putting this in, and he hears a flush. The toilet's right here. And then he feels a splat on his legs. Uh, do with that how you, what you want. Um, that's, that's the kind of servanthood, the kind of servitude that we need to be having in our lives is to be willing to do the dirty jobs for people, right? Uh, that's, that's kind of what missions work is about, is going and helping people who really need it. Um, and we had the blessing this past summer to do that. And actually, it was pretty cool. I, I showed the students. They had their fall kickoff event just like we did uh, in September. And Pastor Jim actually sent me a picture of some of the kids that we were ministering to down there. Uh, one, one little girl's name was Bella. Another one was uh, uh, Dulce. She didn't speak any English. And then a third kid, his name was Frank. Uh, and they, they have vans down there, and they actually take kids from the trailer park to the church so they can be at VBS and, and youth group and all that. And the kids, they, these students made such a big impact on their lives that the kids said, hey, can we take a picture and send it to Pastor Nick so that he can show all the students that we're still thinking about them? So that was pretty cool, the impact that you can make when you have that kind of servitude in your mind. And it's not only the, it's not only the, the physical dirty jobs, too. Right, and oh, help, absolutely. Helping people with physical needs or um, monetary needs or whatever those kinds of things. But it's the spiritual dirty jobs, too. That's why when Paul talks about bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ, if 
you read the context of that passage, he's not only talking about bearing one another's burdens as far as if somebody's in financial need, if somebody needs some stuff fixed up, or they need to borrow a car or something. What he's talking about is bearing one another's burdens as far as our sin and the things that we struggle with in our spiritual walk. And what does that look like? That looks like showing a little bit of grace and a lot less judgment, understanding that we are sinners just as much as this other person is a sinner too, and helping that person bear their burdens, help be accountability for them, uh, help be a spiritual guide for them, and bear their burdens that way too. And so uh, the spiritual dirty jobs as well as the physical dirty jobs too. Okay? So our second point, uh, our B point for uh, point number two, is that God shows us generosity by Christ's miraculous healing. And we're going to look at Isaiah uh, chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Christ is the, that water in the wilderness in that that's for free. That was a free no charge, as Brad said. As Brad, yeah. So we're going to look at um, Matthew 11. Yeah, sorry. For the fulfillment of that. Man. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, there's, we, we're actually, we're just finishing, well, we're not finishing. We're about halfway through John normally. Uh, obviously, during the Advent season, we're kind of going a little off the rails. But uh, when it comes to John, we've been reading about the miracles of Christ and you know, when we were going through this, we were like, well, we could do this, we could do that, but we, you know, we're, we have a finite amount of time here. There's so a lot we, of miracles. This, this, I don't know if you guys out, are familiar with the Actually, gospel. there's so many that it, it even says that if they were all written down, there's not enough pages right. to put it, you know, it, there's too many. Uh, but we, we happen to find in Matthew 11, uh, 2 through 5, a pretty good summation of it. Uh, now, when John heard in prison, this is John the Baptist when he's in prison, Uh, When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by the disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. So we see a, a pretty good, like I mentioned, a pretty good summation of the, the miracles that Christ did during his life. It's, it's almost like he was directly quoting this passage, mm. which a lot of people were probably familiar with. Isaiah was one of the most popular prophetic uh, books yep. um, among the Israelites at that time. And so um, when he's telling that to the messengers to take to them, that probably sounds familiar to the messengers. And when they take that message to John, he is probably familiar with that passage too. And Christ is basically saying, I'm fulfilling this specific passage, these specific things that Isaiah had talked about. Okay? So, um, so point number C then under uh, our second point is that God shows us generosity by bringing redemption for all. And um, for all is kind of the, uh, the main phrase in that passage, redemption for all. All. It's not just redemption, period. I mean, he does bring redemption, period. But the focus is redemption for all. So Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. 
He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And then in Matthew chapter 12, 15 through 21, uh, we read, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what, the, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim, proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Uh, you know, this is, as I mentioned, we, we finished the book of John with the youth group, uh, actually just recently. And there are multiple times early on in the book of John where you hear, you know, especially, I mean, one of the ones you can remember the most is at the wedding at Cana, 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 however it's pronounced. Uh, I'm not a uh, Greek or Hebrew expert, I apologize. Um, you have Jesus talking to his mother saying, um, woman, what does this have to do with me? My time, don't you know my time has not yet come? We see this multiple times in the New Testament where Jesus is like, hey, my time has not yet come, my time has not yet come. And then further on in the book of John, we finally read that his time has come. If he had been revealed too early, he would have been possibly killed too early. Uh, if he had been, if it were too late, you know, the, the Israelites maybe would have tried to make him their king earlier than intended. Uh, Jesus knew the time, because as, as Jeff said early, earlier, uh, he is fully God and he's fully man. He knows the plan. First uh, Timothy 2.6 uh, says, Who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. A ransom for who, Nick? For all. Oh, for yeah, all. Yeah, for all. That's all. That's all. That's, all that's means all. all. Yeah, um, turns out yeah. it does. Yeah. Isn't that great? So it's no longer just as a ransom for the Jewish people. It's now as a ransom for the entire world. So this kind of goes back to the blessings to Abraham, yep. that through him and his offspring, all of the earth, the entire earth, all the people of the earth will be blessed through them because Christ came through Abraham's offspring, right? Okay, anything else there? No. All right. Uh, so the last point for uh, point number two is that God shows us generosity by freeing the captive. And we're going to, again, look at Isaiah uh, for this passage. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then we see the fulfillment in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Uh, this, is, this is, so physically we have... Wait, a, what did he say? What did what, he say? What did he say? Verse 21. He began to I say... I have them, a number. Oh. And he, Sorry. I'll, I'll finish it. You go ahead. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus is dropping the mic on this passage and saying, that's, that's me, yep. guys. This is the, the, kind of the, the beginning of his ministry at this point. Yeah. He's saying, this is what I've come to do, and I'm here to do it. And now this Isaiah passage is fulfilled through me. Yeah, the beautiful thing about that, when we read this, we think of physical slavery, but this also works for every one of us who are a slave to sin. Uh, actually, I think it's even maybe even more so, especially in our culture today. You don't have to be a slave to your sins anymore. Because Christ has freed you. Um, we, when we were at T4G a couple years ago, the Together for the Gospel conference down in Louisville, uh, John Piper was preaching, and he, one of the things, I actually had it written down. It's in my office, so I'll probably misquote it because I don't have it in my hand right now. Uh, he, he mentions that Christ's death on the cross didn't just bring us grace, but it bring us, brings us the power to kill our sins, to overcome our sins. Right? So through Christ's sacrifice, you're now given a certain amount of control over the sins in your life. Uh, and I think that's just such a beautiful thing that, that uh, I think we overlook sometimes. You know, we think of the forgiveness and the grace that comes with it, but it also brings us a certain amount of, of power over the sins in our lives. Yeah. So we looked at um, Christ's birth, Christ's life, um, and now uh, we'll get to our third point. Through Christ's death, God shows us love in the midst of our pain. And so, again, we're not necessarily talking about physical pain in this point, but it's more of spiritual pain, spiritual burden, and the fact that um, we, we can't help ourselves through these things. We need Christ in the midst of these things. And uh, the first passage we're going to look at is Isaiah. Oh, uh, the first point, actually, sorry, uh, is that Christ shows his love by bearing our sins on the cross. And um, we look at Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he has taken on our sins. Um, Isaiah 53 is probably one of the most uh, quoted, uh, like, prophetic uh, passages about uh, Jesus' work here uh, on earth. It's probably one of the most popular ones. For obvious reasons, I would say. Right. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25 says, For this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Again, there's that idea of following Christ. Uh, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's God, by the way. 
Uh, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Uh, this is so beautiful. Um, yeah, this is the gospel, right? This is, this is the summation of the gospel, that we have sinned. Each and every one of us have sinned. And because of that, we aren't righteous. We aren't able to walk in a relationship with God because God is holy. Uh, but God, for some odd reason, which I, I've, I mentioned at Joy Group last week, I, it wrinkles my brain when I think about it. I can't wrap my head around it at all. Uh, for some reason, God saw fit to send his son to take our place, to take our punishment so that we don't have to live in, in the absence of God for eternity. Uh, because of Christ's sacrifice, we now are made clean. His righteousness is given to us so that we can now walk in a right relationship with God. It's just such a beautiful thing. Well, and imagine Peter writing that too because Peter was <laughs> yeah, far Peter. from like the most perfect person. Uh, yeah. when, when we look at how Absolutely. Peter acted throughout the Gospels, um, and then when we see the change that comes upon him when, um, the, when the Spirit is given to him at the beginning of Acts, and then he delivers this awesome sermon uh, right from the book of, of Joel on uh, the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter is a totally changed person. And so looking at who Peter was, and now that Peter is writing, is writing this that we're reading in, in his letters, it's, an, it's a wonderful and very encouraging thing. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see the people that God chooses to use. Right. I mean, you have Paul, you have Peter, you have mm -hmm. you and me. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> no offense. No, oh, no, none taken, trust me. Um, okay, so point B, uh, and, and point B and point C are going to kind of go together. So we'll, we'll kind of um, read through point B, and then we'll jump right to point C, uh, because they work together in this. Uh, but point B is that Christ shows his love by being our Passover lamb. And... Um, we go to Exodus 12, uh, verses 21 through 27, to look at uh, what the Passover lamb is. It says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts, the top and the two sides, with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep his service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Very thankful that uh, the Lord passed over their houses and spared them. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So there, it's right there. Paul refers to Christ as our Passover lamb. And so how does this work then? At the end of, uh, I have some of my notes myself on the outline here. And at the end of point B, it says, you know, Christ shows us his love by being a Passover lamb. And I put, 
How so? Well, point C is how so. This is how Christ acts as the Passover lamb. And point C is that Christ shows his love by shedding his blood as payment. And we're going to look at Leviticus 17.11, where we see that a payment was necessary here, um, and we see the importance of the blood. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And so that's the importance of the blood of, of the lambs that are sacrificed for the Passover. And so obviously, since Christ is the Passover lamb, then his blood has this insanely ultimate, awesome importance, this divine importance, right? Yeah, it brings to mind the, uh, the Cain and Abel story. Mm-hmm. Why, why was God accepting of Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? Well, it's because Cain's sacrifice was a literal sacrifice. Blood was spilled uh, to cover the sins. And for Cain, did I say that right? Yeah. For Abel, Cain, Abel was giving the sacrifice. Yeah, Abel gave the sacrifice. Right. <laughs> and for Cain, he brought fruit. Nothing was killed. No blood was spilled. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't the right sacrifice. And these guys, they knew, they knew better, right? They knew what they were doing. They've been doing this their whole lives. Uh, that's, why, that's why everything happened the way that it did. But Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is one, one of the things that we read every time we, we partake in communion. You know, this is, this is the whole idea. We're remembering the sacrifice that Christ made for us, you know, that his blood was spilled so that ours didn't have to be, uh, to cover us, right, to cover our sins. Well, and it's important to, to point out that when we participate in communion, this is a conversation that we were having with some friends last night, um, it's, it's, it's not that Christ is shedding his blood again right. when we participate in communion. It's that we're remembering that Christ yep. shed his blood and Paul said that Christ shed his blood once and for all for us. That, to me, that means when Christ did it on the cross and he said it is finished, that means it was done then and it was finished. But there's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing that any kind of participation that we go through or any kind of ritual or, or communion every month or anything like that, that doesn't add to any of our justification through Christ shedding his blood. He did it on the cross and he did it once and for all. Okay. Uh, and then we get to our last point. Finally, finally, we're at our last point. Sorry, guys. Um, I'm I'm having a blast up here. I could yeah. honestly sit here and say, um, we can keep going. But you guys are like yawning and that kind of stuff. So, um, so point number four uh, is that through Christ's resurrection, God shows us joy in the midst of our pity. And we're going to look at in a second here what we mean by pity. Uh, but the first point that goes along that, with that is that God shows us joy through the hope of resurrection. And uh, let me get to Psalm. We're going to look at um, Psalm 16, 9 through 11 for this. Psalm chapter 16, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad, glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the hope that we have, the joy through Christ's resurrection that we have. This passage specifically, these verses, 
are prophetic for Christ's resurrection, right? Uh, and then we jump to 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. Uh, Paul writes, And if Christ has been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So this is talking about how, um, you know, the, the beautiful thing about this actually before I do that is we don't have to be worried about being pitied because we have faith. We, like I said, when, when at the beginning of this, the, the sermon, the, whatever we want to call it this morning, uh, the TED Talk, um, whatever it is, uh, the, the percentage, the chances of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies, you can't even fathom how small of a percentage of a chance there is. Uh, but with God, there's no such thing as chance. It's, it's just, it, it is, because God is sovereign. Uh, so we have faith in Christ, so we don't have to be pitied. So we don't have to worry about uh, those who have fallen asleep in Christ having to perish. Because if they've fallen asleep in Christ, they're in Christ. We'll see them again. It's a beautiful truth. Well, and when, after Christ died, what did, the, what did his followers spend the next couple of days doing? They, they pretty much spent the next couple of days mourning, sitting in a room, kind of off by themselves, wondering what in the world they were going to do. Uh, you know, the Messiah was killed. What could they possibly do? And then he's resurrected, and they see him, and all of a sudden, they're not so pitiful anymore. Now they have hope because they've seen him back from the dead, right. defeated death. First uh, Peter one twenty one says, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, there's, there's no one better to put your faith and hope in. Like I mentioned, God is completely faithful, and he's going to take care of it. Yep. Uh, so point B that goes along with this is that God shows us joy through the gift of his grace. And we're going to look at Psalm 68, 18, uh, which says, You ascended on high leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. In Ephesians 4, 7 through 8, it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Uh, it's a beautiful thing that we receive gifts. You know, one of the things that we... The gifts that come to mind mostly for me um, are the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit, I, I would say that those are gifts that were given through God's grace. When, you know, when the Spirit is given to us through putting our faith in Christ, we're given love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. And, and we should be exuding those things. We should, be, we should be showing those things in our everyday lives, right? People should be looking at us and seeing the Spirit coming out of us through those fruits. It's pretty awesome that Paul basically quotes this passage when he's talking about this too. Yeah. It's, a, it's truly amazing when we're trying to understand a portion of Scripture, how often a Scripture will interpret itself or explain itself. Absolutely. And um, especially when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, because at times there are thousands of years between these two passages, and you see these things fulfilled, and you see God's faithfulness in fulfilling these things that it's, uh, it's a really, truly amazing thing to experience when you're going through and reading 
the living and active word of God. Okay, uh, so point C is that God shows us joy as he gives us life through the resurrection. And so it's not just that he resurrected himself and has life, it's that he then gives us this life through his resurrection. Again, there's nothing in our own power that we can do for this. Um, and we're going to look at Job 19. Job 19, uh, 23 to 27 says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, my heart faints within me. This is, so there's not only a spiritual resurrection that we're going to experience when we leave this earth, there will be a physical resurrection that we will experience, and we will get to see Christ on the throne with our own two eyes, with our own physical eyes, we will be able to see and enjoy and worship Christ on the throne. And, um, and that's what Job is talking about here. Even though my flesh was destroyed with my own two eyes, I will see God before me. That's awesome. That's so awesome. I think the beautiful thing is, is looking back at when Job was written. That's such an ancient text. And they, they had an understanding of it at that point I think as it well. was one of the earliest texts. Yes. Yeah, I think he was uh, around at the time of the patriarchs. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. John 5, 24 through 29 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, that's the promise that we're given when we put our faith in Christ. When we, when we choose to follow him, we don't have to fear death anymore because we, Christ has conquered it. Christ has control. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. You didn't want to go through the rest of that passage? Did I not? I totally did. 24 through 29. Oh, boy. I'm so wanna, sorry, guys. I mean, that's, that's kind of the meat of it. Hold on, let just... me keep going. Uh, where did I leave off? 25. So started truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Yeah. So, so dead people can't walk out of tombs, right? Right. So obviously there's, there's life there. There's a, there's a resurrection there. Hopefully resurrection is resurrection of to life and not resurrection to judgment. Yeah. The only way we can get that is through Jesus Christ. It's not Amen. through our acts. It's not through doing good things. It's placing our hope and, and faith and trust in Jesus alone that will get us the resurrection of life. Okay, the last sub point. Point D, God shows us joy in the destruction of death, which is an awesome phrase. As a heavy metal fan, I love the phrase destruction of death. That just sounds cool. All right, uh, let's look at Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25, verses 7 through 8. 
And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from, the, from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57, uh, says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That victory is over death. We have victory over our sin, and we have victory over our death. It's awesome. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so again, these, this is just a handful of passages that talk about this. But this is the mystery that has been revealed. This was the mystery that as these prophets and um, as these, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're looking at Psalm, um, uh, you know, these poets and songwriters, as they were writing these things, um, they, they knew that there was something there. The Spirit was working in them to write these things, and they had hope uh, in the Lord's promises for these things, or as the prophets were prophesying them. They had hope in the prophets, or in, in the Lord working through them to, to write these things and uh, make these things known. And we finally get to see the mystery of that revealed in Jesus Christ. And so for Christmas, for Advent, we get to celebrate the fact that the mystery of these things have been revealed. We get to celebrate the fact, going back to all four points um, to sum them up, we get to celebrate the fact that through Christ's birth, God shows us faithfulness in the midst of our hope. That through Christ's life, God shows us generosity in the midst of our need. That through Christ's death, God shows us love in the midst of our pain. And that through Christ's resurrection, God shows us joy in the midst of our pity. This is the mystery that has been revealed to us. This is the mystery that is now available to all of you, to us. This is the mystery, this is the thing that we all need. Uh, we're not up here um, trying to throw this passage out to everybody or throw this message out there saying that you're all in need of this because Nick and I need this so much. And um, we need Jesus ourselves. And so it's always funny to look at things that somebody's doing and be like, that guy needs Jesus. But the, the, the not funny part about it is that, oh, yeah, I need Jesus Just too. Just as much. Um, and, um, and so this is what is available uh, for all of you and for us. So um, if you want to give a closing statement, yeah, and then you can pray to close us out. Yeah. Um, let's pray. I'll have a statement. <laughs> Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, that each and every one of us is able to be here. Um, we know that it's by your hand that the people that are in this room that are here. Lord, we're so thankful uh, for you and, and the gift that you've given us, Lord. We, we don't understand it. It's such a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around that the God of everything, the all-powerful God of creation, for some reason saw fit to send your Son to take our place. Each and every one of us are sinners, Lord. We know that we need the gift that you give. Lord, I pray for anybody here who maybe uh, doesn't have a full understanding of this gift. Lord, I pray that they would come and chat with, with either Jeff or myself and, and talk about uh, how they can be uh, receiving this gift today. 
And Lord, I pray that, that today, as it is Christmas Eve and tomorrow as it is Christmas, we, we remember the real reason of celebration, that we were looking at that gift that you gave in your son as you sent him to earth to live a human life, to live human experiences, uh, to feel real pain, to feel real joy, love, all of these things, and then to die as a human being in our place so that we don't have to experience the absence of you. Lord, thank you. I pray that we don't take these things for granted and that we would carry these truths with us every single day and that we would, we would bring these truths with us and that we would share them with the people we come into contact with. And Lord, I pray that as we go out into the world today, you know, through, through our Christmas breaks, through the new year, um, and, and for the rest of our lives, that we would, we would be mindful of, of you, of the way that you lived, and that we should be living the same way. We should be living in a way that is uh, serving to others in a way that is loving and kind and caring and, and that we're bearing each other's burdens and love and all of these things that you've given us as an example. So, Lord, thank you. I pray as we go our separate ways, we're all able to enjoy our families today and tomorrow and that we're able to be safe and that we're able to focus on, on the gifts that you've given us, Lord. So thank you. I ask these things in your son's holy and awesome name. Amen. Amen. And just real quick, I'll, I'll throw out one more um, uh, kind of advertisement for tonight. We are having our Christmas Eve candlelight service tonight at 5.30. Uh, we'd love uh, for you all to join us, um, especially since Pastor Brad will be back with us tonight. It'll be so awesome. I know. It'll be so awesome to see him and hear from him. I'm so excited for my buddy to be back up here yeah. uh, with us. So, um, so tonight at 5.30 for the candlelight service, I hope to see you all there. Have a wonderful day, and if I don't see you tonight, have a Merry Christmas.